verse in the back, and it's uh, Psalm 142, uh, verse 1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. Which is a great passage. It's a doable verse. Some, some of you get on me when I make those long verses that you say, I'm not trying that verse. I can't memorize it. Well, you can do this one. So I encourage you to put that to heart and memory. Also, we have a variety of people serving Christ in so many different ways, and we emphasize that a little bit this morning. Uh, but also we emphasize a, a missionary for the month, and so uh, a missionary for the week. And this week uh, we're praying for uh, Tim and Patty Long uh, in Mexico. A number of you had an opportunity to go down there, so I encourage you, again, to make that part of your prayer experience as you look for that PT with God, personal time with God. gives you some hints and ideas related to that as well. Also, uh, our life groups have been going, so I'm, this is going to somewhat extended announcements before we start preaching. Is, uh, and so you're not in one. Uh, we've got some morning, noon, and night, the in-homes here on campus, make it easy in a variety of different ways. Great opportunity to, to do life together, uh, to get in God's Word and t- discuss and talk about it, ask questions. And uh, if you don't like the group you're in, then um, try another one. Uh, but uh, just uh, get, get involved with God's people. Um, one of the things I want to share with that is out of one of the life groups, they, they shared the, uh, the dilemma that we're called as God's people to pray for leaders, political leaders, as well as those in positions of responsibilities. And, and in our country particularly, we have opportunity to vote, to make an influence in that way. And so they were saying, could we ever have a forum where we could talk about propositions or talk about uh, things related in the political arena without trying to be you know, oppressive and ter- ter- telling you this is how you have to vote if you're a Christian? And so we're going to try something different on uh, Sunday the 26th, which is a couple weeks from now before the men's practice at 1 o'clock for the men's choir. Uh, We're going to have a a meeting in the fellowship hall, and if you'd like to be involved in that, we'll tell you a little bit more about that next week. And and we're just going to talk about some of the things, issues, and how to think before you vote. And if there's any uh, spiritual implications you want to think through, we're not going to be advocating necessarily uh, this is the only way to vote, but give you a discussion in terms of thinking through some of the things that are going on. And last announcement, we've got the book that we're going to be using in our series, Knowing God on the Holy Spirit, Knowing God. And in the fellowship hall, you can pick that up. And the good news is that the, the, the price has been reduced from $9 to $7. I was able to get some more discounts. And so you can pick one up. Uh, I think they were normally initially $15. Now we got them for 7 So such a deal. And you say amen to that? Amen to that. And, of course, what that means, you know what the word amen means? It means this is true. When Jesus said uh, most assuredly or truly, truly, he was saying amen, amen. And he said before he spoke rather than after he spoke. But when we say that, when someone says something we agree with and we say amen, we're, we're, we are committing ourselves to the conviction that just what was said was true and we want to follow that. So... End of announcements, let's pray one more time and ask God to use our hearts and minds to think about him as we look at God's word this morning. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for just the opportunity to to serve, to be involved in people's lives, to reach out and show care and love in a a tangible way this past week and and giving things to people at no cost and and then even feeding them and showing love and, and telling them about Jesus and inviting them to come back. Uh, Father, we thank you for just the opportunity to uh, give praise to your name and truly blessed be the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and might we really um, recognize just how great a God you are. And now, fathers, we, we have the privilege of concentrating in this series on and probably the, the greatest pursuit in all of life, and that is, is knowing God. And, Father, we want to, to know God in, in terms of encountering him for the first time and 
and, and meeting him and, and giving our lives into his life. Uh, but Father, also we want to be a people passionate about pursuing him and, and knowing him in a, in a way that makes increasingly bigger impacts in who we are and how we live. And Father, we pray as we look at Jesus this morning that you might just cause us to fall more and more in love with the one who came for us. And we praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as you think about, you know, studying the Word of God or communicating the Word of God or preaching the Word of God uh, or just sharing it with a, a friend, uh, there is no way to do justice with the truth that God has given us. It's an amazing thing to think that this book contains the actual words of God. In fact, the word uh, inspiration in the Word of God means God breathed. And so God has put his stamp on these words so that we might know his mind and his heart and the direction he has for our lives. And there is no greater um, approach to getting what God has for us than getting who God is. And I share with, with uh, some of you who read my email blast or on my email blast a story from the, the third century, or not a story, but an account of a theologian of that day. And sometimes we kind of get in the in the whole kind of uh, habit of thinking if it didn't happen yesterday or it's not going to happen tomorrow, it doesn't really matter. But let's, uh, let's, let's be honest. God has done an amazing things over the centuries. And, and there have been great minds and hearts that have followed God that have something to say to us. And sometimes even the simplest ways. And Origen in the third century said this in terms of trying to think through just what is the miracle of God sending his son or, or God invading history and becoming a man. And he, he put it this way uh, in his analogy. He told of a village with a huge statue. So immense, you couldn't exactly see what it was supposed to represent. Finally, someone miniaturized the statue to one, so one could see the person it honored. And Origen said, that, that is what God did in his son. Paul t- uh, tells us that Christ is the self-miniarization of God, the visible icon or image of the invisible God. In Christ, we have God in a comprehensible way, in Christ, we have God's own personal and definitive visit to this planet. See, if words were the only way God expressed himself to us, uh, that would be rather limiting. But what God did is he became a man so we could see him uh, in his full glory here, here on earth in terms of his representation. And he's going to be even glorified more as he comes again. Um, I was reading, this is kind of a familiar statement, but it's also, and it's also put in a, in a, a song, but maybe you've heard that, the, the one, one solitary life. But when you think about Jesus, it's amazing how, how this man that many people uh, have heard of and talked about, but how has he become such an overwhelming person in history? And, and just listen to these words. Some tell that Jesus' earthly life was really not that very important. They say he wrote no books, composed no songs, drew no pictures, carved no statues, amassed no fortune, commanded no army, and ruled no person. And so as you think about it, then why would we follow him? And yet he will never yet he who never wrote a line has been made the hero of unnumbered volumes. He who never wrote a song has put music into the hearts of nameless multitudes. He who never established an institution is the foundation of the church that bears his name. He who refused the kingdoms of this world has become the Lord of millions. Yes, he 
whose shameful death scarcely produced a ripple on the pool of history in his day has become a mighty current in the vast ocean of the centuries since he died. I wish I could write like that, <laughs> speak like that. I mean, it's the pictures he's using to describe this, this person whose ripple effect, because not just the words he said, but who he was, has changed literally the face of this planet. And so as we pursue knowing God, it, it all really is about Jesus. If we miss Jesus, we get everything wrong. And that is particularly true in terms of of people who follow after God. And, and people are incurably religious on this planet. And that's why there's so many different world religions and so many pursuits of, of trying to, to find the meaning of life and the purpose of life. But if you miss who Jesus is, then you've missed everything that's true about God. Now, in, in our pursuit of just touching the surface of knowing God, we, we began with a, a definition of God in terms of of who he is and his, his majesty. And, and this is just a short definition, but it's, it's worth putting in your heart and mind that well, what is God? God is a spirit. And by that, it means he's not limited by anything physical that we could put our hands and, and, and our senses on. He is a spirit. He's infinite. There, there, there is nothing that can, can contain him. He, he's eternal, not only in terms of the future, but the past. He has always been. We were at staff and we were talking about that whole idea of being eternal and who made God, which is usually the question we think about eternity. I, I can see future, but I mean, you know, everything that we see, something made it. So who made God? And, and when the teacher was talking to the children about that and they go, you mean God has always been? And, and for a moment, a couple of the, the kids just sat there and just thought about it. And, and, and then after a few moments, I said, well, what's happening? So my head is hurting. That's such a big idea, you know. Well, you know, when you think about God, if we begin to touch a little bit how infinite he is, it, it ought to give us a headache. It ought, to, it ought to just literally blow our mind because of just how immense God is. He's infinite. He's eternal. And he's unchangeable in his being. And that should be a comfort for us all because the things that change in this world, are the things we can't count on, but God will never change. You know, there's a number of things that, you know, it says about God that with man it's, Things are impossible with God. All things are possible. There are a few things that are impossible with God. And one thing that's impossible with God, God will not change. In fact, the Bible says, I think it's in Numbers, that, uh, you know, this introduction is going to take longer than my message, but I don't get going on here. Okay. You know, it, that, that God is not like a man who can lie. God always tells the truth. And then we talked about that, that, that God is completely, and we're only using a few of his attributes in this definition, God, God is completely full of wisdom and power and holiness and, and justice and goodness and truth. And all of those give us a picture of God in his oneness. That's true of every person of the Trinity. But then we did look at that. What is God? Well, who is God? Well, God is one. He's one in essence. You know, some uh, philosophers say he's one ontologically. And the Bible doesn't use those terms, but he's just, there's just one God. We don't believe in many gods. But in the one essence, there are three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. So so as we pursue knowing God, we want to understand God as much as we can in his his fatherhood, his sonship, and his role as being the Holy Spirit. 
And so last week we touched on God the Father, and I reworded a little bit or took some of the words we had last week. As we think about understanding God as Father, and of course we have that in a human picture as all of us have fathers. They were either good fathers or they were bad fathers. We can, even, we can learn from good fathers uh, how God is even better than our good fathers. And as we think of bad fathers, we can realize God is not anywhere like that. But as we think about that, there's, there's some things that we can maybe wrap our mind around as we, as we relate with God and understand with God. And let me just, a little window in my soul as I've been trying to put this into, you know, day in and day out practice. As I begin a day, I, I begin to think about, well, if God is my Father, how, how should I remember as far as who He is? And part of it is what we talked about last week. That as I think about the fatherhood of God, I think that God, God is my great protector. He, he is the one that, that oversees my life. In the midst of all that happens, he's a screener of the things that I will experience. And it doesn't mean he will take every difficult thing out of my life. And you know, some in our church family, even in the service, they've, they've had three funerals in the last two weeks, you know, related family members. Well, you'd like to, well, can't you space that out, God? I mean, you never want a funeral, but when, it's, when it comes all together, it becomes almost unnerving. And yet God said, okay, no... I'm going to allow that to happen, and I'm going to protect you through that. So as we think about the fatherhood of God in the midst of that, that general definition we gave, well, we think of God the Father as being our protector. We think of God the Father as being our creator. The reason I'm here is He, he wanted me to be here. He, he made me. And, and all the majesty of that thought in terms of we are not an accident. There are no accidental births on this planet. There's some irresponsibility sometimes with parents, but there are no accidental births. God is the creator of every life. And then we talked about God as love and God as good, and I kind of want to put that together. Well, if he's a protector, creator, he's also the, the loving, good daddy. He, he, he's, he's the one that we can run to. Have I told you I'm a grandparent yet? You know, have I told you that? You know, there, there's nothing more exciting to, to see, you know, a little life running to their parents and just raising up their hands to be lifted up. They just want to be held by their mom, mommy or daddy. And what's even better when they do it to the grand, grandpa. But anyway, that's a whole other story. Okay. You know, he's our loving, good daddy. And then he's the provider. You know, we all enter into this world, you know, as little babies. And if someone didn't come alongside not only to protect us or provide for us, we wouldn't last very long. We are, we are physically dependent on the people who care for us when we can't care for ourselves. And, that, and our Father is our great provider, care provider for us. Well, that's the fatherhood of God, and we, we can make that a series. We're going to do seven weeks on the Spirit. We can do seven weeks easily on the fatherhood of God. But how about the sonship of God? And, of course, we could even do much longer series than that because really the, the central message of the, the Bible is, is God fully revealing himself, which is his son. So Jesus is everywhere in the Bible, sometimes clearer than others. But it, whether it's an image or whether it's in type, Jesus is everywhere. But, but what are we to gain from Jesus being, or God being, Son, God the Son? Well, we're going to try to touch on that a little bit this morning as we, as we just try to, to touch the surface again about who God is. 
And I put most of the verses in your outline because we wouldn't have time to rush having you turn to them. But we just want to look again at some of these things. And some, some, uh, some get back to the fundamental truth that we, we better get right, particularly related to Jesus, is that Jesus is more than just a religious leader. Jesus is more than just uh, an amazing teacher. In fact, that, that what, that's often what gathered a crowd is they go, no one ever speaks like he does. No one has that authority. No one gets to the, the heart of the truth. And so people would just run to him because he would say things that no one else said. Or if he talked about things that had been said, he, he now put the light on so people understood it. But he didn't do that primarily to have them amazed at his intellect or his gift of gab or whatever you want to say in terms of his speaking ability. He came so that people might know who he is. And who is Jesus? Jesus is God. And see, I remember being in Bible study when I, when I was first learning how to teach Bible studies. And, and I was, it was with college students. And, and there were a variety of different people from all kinds of contexts of, of, of terms of religious or non-religious background. And we had been studying Jesus, okay, in the Bible. We were going through the Gospel of John. And f- after a few weeks, this one guy said, you know, wait a minute. I'm, are you trying to tell me that you're saying the Bible says that Jesus is what? God? I go, you got it. That's exactly what I've been trying to say. Okay? And so we don't want to miss that. And it's not just new to the New Testament. You know, pretty soon, December 25th, is going to be what? Christmas. And you know, you know what happens if you take Christ out of Christmas? Nothing. You got nothing. You just got moss or mass, okay? All you got is a happy holiday. Okay, if you take Christ out of Christmas, it's not Christmas. And I was just thinking the other day, too. You know, if you take... If you take God out of good, you're left with one letter, and that letter looks like what? Zero, right? You have zero good if you take God out of good. But anyway, let's look at what the Bible says just real quickly in terms of some of the passages, and we could spend numerous weeks on how the Bible, in so many different ways, speaks about the deity of Jesus Christ. But look at Isaiah 9, 6, which is a Christmas verse. That's why I threw that in, in case you wondered why I threw that in. But here, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor. Some put that together, Wonderful Counselor. And then what's the next two words? Mighty God. And then if you think about the oneness of the essence of God, God is one in essence, three in persons. He's everlasting Father. He's Prince of Peace. And, and that's why, again, our, our minds cannot totally comprehend the Trinity. And the only reason we believe in the Trinity, because that's how God has revealed himself. There's one God, but within the one God, there are three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They're equal, but they're distinct. And they're so equal that they often can be seen together as the same. And that's why Jesus said, I and the Father are one. If you've seen me, you've seen the father and so jesus who's distinct as well as equal has his own particular roles otherwise prayer would not make any sense how could he be praying to himself okay you know and all in the in the lord's prayer and all those kind of things so he's distinct and yet they're so connected if if you're if you're with jesus it's like you're with the father and if you're with the father it's like you're with the spirit and so even in isaiah they talk about christmas Hey, there's, there's a child that's going to be born. 
And before Isaiah chapter 9, there's Isaiah chapter 7, which talks about that, that baby that's going to be born will be born of a virgin birth, a miraculous birth. And, and, and that miraculous birth is going to give you indication to what is true about him. He is mighty God. He's eternal. He's eternal father, everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. He's the wonderful counselor. Let's look at a couple other passages real quick. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was what? God. Now, if you've ever talked to someone who, who comes to your door and has some literature and tells you that if you're sleeping, you ought to awake. Anybody have that happen? <laughs> okay. Is they, they think that, okay, well, there, you know, it, there's no definite article here. Well, there are, there, there, and they said, well, so it must be translated, Jesus was a God. Well, the problem with that, there is no indefinite article. There's a little grammar here, which means there's no A in the Greek language. There's no way to put there was a God. And really, when the definite article is not used in the Greek language, it's simply saying, it's talking about quality. The word was divine. That's the emphasis here. The word was God. And then even then, in the context of that, it shows you that he had to be deity because look what he did. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. So Jesus was also involved in an activity beginning with the letter C, which means he was involved in what? Creation. Well, I don't know about you. If I could come up here and create something out of nothing, in the beginning God created, bara, which is out of nothing, ex nihil, is then I, I, can make a, I can make a claim for deity. And so we know that this is a claim for the deity of Jesus because he was not only stated that way, he, had, he, he was eternal in the beginning, but he also was, was involved in creation. Nothing came into being without Jesus being part of that. And that's, again, the unity of the deity. So many other things. John chapter 5, verses 17 and 18. But Jesus answered them, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Now, the, the whole idea here, this, we need to realize that, that when God brought uh, words to us and that were recorded by uh, the, the prophets and the apostles of both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it was, it was given to him in a particular time and a culture. And so certain words were triggers. Do you have any triggers in your life? Someone says something and immediately you'll get an emotional response. Anybody have that? You say something and I'm either going to get real happy or I'm going to get real mad okay, if you say something. right. Well, they got real mad when Jesus called the Father, the Heavenly Father, my Father. Okay? You know, you know, just just pop my mind. You know, like if, if you were to come out to my dad, you know, and I know how many sons he has, and all of a sudden you were claiming my dad to be your dad, you know, that would be a trigger. No, that's not your dad. That's my dad. I'm the one related to him. And see, when, when Jesus said that, they, they, it was a trigger because they knew he was saying something that no one else in a culture in which blasphemy was a capital offense that they, they, they got triggered. And we know what he meant by that because it goes on. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, and that's the activity he was involved in, in, in working on the Sabbath, and, and God is the God of the Sabbath, the Lord is the Lord of the Sabbath, uh, but also said that God was his Father, making himself, what? Equal with God. Now, you'll have people say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God. Really? They sure thought so. And it wasn't kind of just an academic, you know, supposition. They were so convinced that they were picking up stones to kill him. 
Now, who should better understand what is in the Bible? Okay, the people who heard it then or the people who are reading about it now? There, there are parts of the Bible, we don't have the commentary of the people hearing what was said. Here we do. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. Now, if people were picking up stones to kill me because I claim to be God, what do you think would be the first things out of my mouth? That's not what I meant. No, I didn't claim to be God. I was just saying I have a close relationship with, you know, he didn't do that. When, when he received worship, when he heard people claim that he was God in the flesh, he never rejected what they said. See, that speaks volumes. Jesus claimed to be God in so many different ways. In John eight fifty eight, which is right after that, we, the, the, the Jehovah name for God in Exodus, he said, before, most assuredly, which is the word amen, amen, uh, translated New King James Version, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am, which gave the attribute of being eternal, having a past that was future before your birth, okay? And then he said, look at that God name that you don't even pronounce because you're afraid you'll be saying it in a blasphemous name, way, I am. So as we think about knowing the sonship of God, it begins here that he truly is God. If we miss that, it doesn't really matter what else I say this morning because that's, that's fundamental, right? All right. But what I want to leave us all this morning is some things related to, okay, what specifically is true about Jesus that is not particularly the emphasis in, in, in the other three person, two persons of the Godhead, the three persons of the Godhead, Jesus being one of them. Uh, and, and I will give you a few this morning. And we could give more, but let me just give you a few. Number one, know the Son is not only is, is God, but know the Son as Savior. And, and this is, again, fundamental. Okay, and... And, and we have to be careful. Sometimes you've heard that phrase, familiarity, you know, breeds contempt. You know, I've heard that so many times. And, you know, you, know, you, you lose the, 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 the weight of what is being said. You know, it's like John 3.16. If you've been in the church for any length of time and you've memorized it and heard it quoted after a while, John 3.16 doesn't sound as special because, yeah, heard that, said that, done that. Man, it doesn't get any better than John 3.16, does it? Shake your head like you know what I'm talking about, Okay. Yeah, we can easily do that, right? And, and so as we think about Jesus being a, the Savior, it doesn't really get much better than that, okay? And, and let's look at some passages real quick. And she, this is in reference to uh, Mary, and she will bring forth a son, and you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their, what, sins. The, the word Jesus really means Savior. That's, that's, what, that's what it means, Jesus is Savior. And what is he saving us from? He, he's not saving us primarily from a bad self-image. Okay? Or, or um, he's not saving us from, uh, a, a, you know, a, a difficult, uh, you know, hair day. He's not, he's not saving us from whatever it might be. Okay? He's saving us from our sins. And, and unless, you know, we've talked about this before. God only helps those who know they need help. Right? And you will never be saved from your sins unless you believe that you are a sinner. And, and so I'm, I'm, God, I'm dying here. I, I am deserving the wrath of God. I, I am guilty. And I, I, no matter how good I want to be, I can't be good enough. And God, can you do something about this? And he said, yes, I'm sending Jesus to save you from your sins. I, I was reading... I was, 
trying to determine how many illustrations I was going to give today, but um, I, I was reading this past week about a legend. And it was a legend about a man that, that fell in a ditch. And, 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 and there were some people who came by to try to help this person who was in the, in the ditch. And Confucius came by and he, he saw the man's predicament. And he said, it is evident that men should stay out of places such as this. That's basically what Confucius can do for you. And then Buddha came up and he said, let that man's plight be a lesson to the rest of the world. Then Muhammad came up and said, Alas, this must be the will of God. And then Jesus came and said, Let me get you up. Acts 4.12 Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And why does that happen true? And a couple of verses I didn't read. You know, Romans 3.23. Hey, all are in this condition. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's a consequence for our sin. The wage of sin is death. Judgment. But the good news is the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God. We've got to get that right. Secondly, we've we, we got to get that one that's so familiar, but don't lose it's weight, knowing that Jesus is Savior. And then I, I didn't know how to put this any other way, but know the Son as the gracious one. And, and this gets, gets down, I guess, maybe to the kind of relating him on a, on a, on a daily basis in terms of, of just his attitude toward us. Um, God, Jesus is constantly desiring to relate to us by by the hard attitude as, as, as I want to give you that what you don't deserve. That's who he is. He's full of grace. Uh, look at a couple of passages. This is that verse we ended in 2 Corinthians with. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. This is true. Amen. Can I give you something for free here? Yeah, it's interesting. As you look at our understanding of the Trinity, it, it, if you wanted to make a case that the three persons of the Trinity, they weren't equal, and there are, there are spiritual people, uh, not, I don't want to use the word spiritual, there are religious people that, that have a different concept of God than, than the Bible teaches, and they have the, the Father way up here, and then the Son is somehow down here, and they're not really sure what to do with the Spirit, maybe be the force, be with you type of, type of thing. If there was a if there was a hierarchy in terms of, of uh, essence as far as one being better or more important or more powerful or, you know what I mean? You know, something like, okay, there's a pecking order here. Not in terms of responsibilities, but in terms of uh, essence. Wouldn't you always say it in the same order? It'd always be God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. If you, if you trace the New Testament, that's, that's, it's not always that way. And here's one of the examples. He starts with Jesus, then he goes to the Father, and then he goes to the Spirit. And sometimes you'll see it reversed in other ways. There's, a, there's equality in the Godhead. Uh, but here it emphasizes in 2 Corinthians that, that I want you to experience the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to experience his favor. Which almost sounds a little bit selfish, doesn't it? I want you to experience the God, all of God's goodness. 
But, but God wants to give us his goodness, okay? And, and when we, we experience his discipline, and we talked a little bit about that last week in the fatherhood of God, well, it's because, again, it comes out of his grace. Because I, don't, I, don't, I love you so much, I don't want you to continue to go down that path. But it, particularly, the son is known as a gracious one. In John chapter 1, verse 14, which is a commentary on, on John 1, as far as in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, who in the word... Who in the world is the Word? Well, John 1.14 gives the commentary on that. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So if we wanted to, to declare very clearly the Word in John 1.1 is defined first in John 1.14, the Word is who? Jesus. This is the Jesus answer, everybody. Okay. The Word is who? Jesus. Okay. Because he's the one who became flesh. But then it says this about him. And we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father. Full of what? Grace. Now, how, how much, you know, <laughs> i got to watch the time. Okay, is that there are, there, there's a part of, of uh, my, um, uh, how would I put this? My, my, uh, the, the way I, I poorly relate with people that, that, that I have a constant prayer with last night. I'm trying to be kinder and gentler. You know, that's, that's one of my... One of my prayers, I want to be a little kinder and gentler. I don't always be as sarcastic as I can be or a little bit pushy as I can be, you know, you know whatever it might be that I, I rarely do. But anyway, those, those things, you know, and as you think about that, I want to be a little kinder. I want to be a little gentler. And you wonder, well, how much, when you think about Jesus, well, he's, he's gracious. And the way my mind worked is, well, just, well, how gracious are you? Right? Because we'll ask that, you know, well, you're patient. Well, just how patient are you, you know? You know, how gracious is God? He's full. How gracious is Jesus? He's full of grace. There's, there, it's, like he, it's not like he's 50% full of grace. He's 100% full of grace and truth. So as we relate to God, as we relate to the Son, we want to remember he, is, he, is del, he delights in giving favor to his people. And, of course, that's found in salvation. For by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourself. It's the gift of God. It's not, it's not a result of works. It's not something you had to do. And if you did, you'd, ha- you'd boast about it. It's a gift of God. And then after that, then, then God sees you as his workmanship. He, he, you're a working project. You are a poem written by him. And, and, and I want you just to know that I've got a lot of things I want you to do, and they're all good. And I've prepared for you to do that. So who is Jesus? He's God. He's the Savior. He's the gracious one. And just in the next few minutes, he's also Lord. Know the Son as Lord. Romans 10 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So in one sense, we can't really know God through his Son unless we understand him not only as Savior, but as what? As Lord. He's the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, some put it this way, uh, that, you know, we invite Christ into our life, but we also invite ourselves into his life or into his world. We understand that becoming a Christian is changing ownership. I don't own my life anymore. Now it's his. He tells me the mark. He gives me the marching orders. I want to follow him because he knows what's best. He is worthy of allegiance, and he is Lord. I don't, I don't make him Lord. I recognize him as Lord. 
And eventually there are going to be people who, who won't get it until the very end. In Philippians 2.11 it says at the end, and I didn't put the whole passage down, but at the very end that every tongue should confess, and the word confess means to agree, to agree that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In Luke chapter 9, verse 23, the, the word Lord is not used there, but it really speaks about what it really means. It says, if, if anyone desires to come after me, and Jesus says this to the multitude, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, some put it this way. It's, it's like taking a stake and, and, and plow it into your heart and say, okay, it's, it's no longer what I want. It's what God wants. Now, what's best about that is that when you do that, then you get what's best. But saying, God, I, I, I just recognize that I, the Christian life is not a selfish life. It's a selfless life following the Savior. Now, we wrestle through that the rest of our lives because we, we kind of go back and forth there in terms of living it out. But, it, but it's, it's coming back to the truth. Okay, this is not my life. It's his life. And that same passage, you know, anybody who's going to, kind of gain and get their life in this life, it's got to lose it. Just lose it. Then you'll really get it. And then probably some of the most sobering words in all of God's word, the words from Jesus in Matthew 7, again, spoken to the multitude. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So it's not just lip service. It's not getting the right answer on the test. It's a matter of the heart. Shall enter the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So, so there's an aspect here. If, if, if we really understand who Jesus is, it's not my will. It's his will to be done. Now, it won't be done perfectly. We'll mess up. But that's the direction of our life. Not so much the performance, but the direction. And if our lives are not headed in that direction, then we don't really know Jesus and who he is. And we don't know God and who he is. Is that we need to come to that point that he's the one in charge. He's Lord. The lordship of God, interesting even the term, it, that really not only speaks about his position of authority, but it also, again, even speaks about his position as deity. Because God is the God who is in charge of this universe. So who is Jesus? He's God. He's Savior. He's the gracious one. He wants to give favor to his people. He is Lord. And then kind of related to even that kind of an introduction from or the finishing off of that passage uh, that we just talked about in terms of his lordship, he's also the judge. One of my favorite passages about Jesus and his relationship with the Father is found in John chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It says, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Now, here, here's an example of, again, how the, the three persons of the deity decide, hey, we're, we're handing off responsibilities here. Okay, we're, we're all, we're all going to be involved in everything the other persons of the, of the Trinity are involved in, but some are going to have more responsibility. He says, I, I'm giving judgment to the Son. And then Jesus goes on, goes on and says that, that all, who sh- all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Yeah, I invite you to, to look at those other two passages I just put in your outline. Acts chapter 17 and 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 7 through 9. Because there's some heat to that judgment. That, that Jesus who came to be the Savior is going to be the Savior for people who recognize their sin and want to turn to the only one who rescued them from their sin. But he will be the judge. And there will be everlasting judgment for those 
who reject the offer of forgiveness from him. In John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son, verse 17, to come to the world to judge the world, but that the world should be saved through him. See, God does not delight in judging his people that he has made, created in this world. And so he sent his Son so that doesn't have to happen But those who rejected Jesus, that judgment has already been made because they refuse to accept the only pardon for sin that's offered. So the question ends, do you know God, the Son? You know, Jesus, when he passes, often turned to in in a service where Someone of less this life and they're going to the next life, have gone to the next life, is John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. And the word trouble really means don't let it be confused. And if there's any time I don't want to be confused, is that my last day here. I, I want to know what's happening in my life. And in my loved one's life as well. In fact, their more concern was that Jesus was saying he was going to die. Let not your heart be troubled by this. And he says, believe in God. But then he said, believe also in me. For I go to praise for you, that where I am there, you may be also. And, and they're confused by this, and doubting Thomas, who didn't get that title until later, he, he goes, oh, we don't quite get it. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father but through me. And so Jesus is, is the one who, who comes as God, as the gracious one, as Lord, as judge, but he came to save us, and only he can do that. Let's pray together. Father, this morning there might be someone here that, that, that has heard about Jesus but hasn't embraced him as their Lord and their Savior. And Father, that be true, this can be the day in which they make that step. And that step is, is simply surrendering their life to the Lord Jesus Christ, to be the one in charge to give the gift that only He can give, which is forgiveness, based upon His work on the cross and His resurrection. And if they simply say, Lord, I want to give you my life and I I want to follow you, then you'll answer that prayer and then you will rescue them from the judgment that is to come. And Father, for us, might, might this week be a week in which we celebrate the sonship of God, how gracious you are, how much of a Savior you are, how much that you delight in not judging people who have turned to you and the one who can be the director and leader of our life. Help us to live for you this week. And we praise in Christ's name. Amen.